0: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your borough purchase at burrowcom slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at borough.com slash ACAST. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Welcome to the Intercooler podcast. Welcome to episode 178 of the Intercooler podcast with me, Dan Prosser, and my co-host, Andrew Frankel. This week, we're talking about 60 years of the Porsche 911 because earlier this month the 911 did celebrate its 60th anniversary Uh, and so we've already recorded a couple of episodes to mark the occasion this time we're talking about the later cars the water-cooled cars from um, the sort of late 1990s to today and actually we'd look ahead into the future as well Um, but before that we talk about the Singapore Grand Prix because it was such an exciting race Um, I'm not sure anyone really saw that coming so we do talk about that for 15 minutes or something, but after that we are into the water-cooled 911s. Um, before we get started, I will just remind you all to follow or subscribe to the Intercooler podcast. Where, wherever you listen to it, whatever app you use, there will be a follow button or a subscribe button. Just hit that. It helps us massively. Um, so thank you for doing that, and we'll get on with the podcast now. 9 can wait for a moment, Andrew, because... We're recording this the day after, I think, the best Grand Prix of the year. The Singapore yeah. Grand Prix. Um, yeah, A proper humding of an F1 race, that was. Um, yeah. First of all, huge credit to Carlos Sainz for... Well, A, for winning that race. It was a tough race to win. And he put it on pole. Fantastic yeah. all weekend. Yeah. Before the summer, before the summer break, I probably had Carlos Sainz down as a Tier 2 driver. Defo More of the... With respect to these guys, um, Checo Perez, um, you know, the Valtteri Bottas Bottases of this world, exactly. a really good number two. But now, goodness me, I'm beginning to wonder if he belongs in that tier one category. Two pole positions since the break, yeah, won that race brilliantly. Yeah, has yeah. it sort of changed your view of, of, no, the science? it hasn't, hasn't it? <laughs> okay, no, it hasn't,
2: um, and I'll tell you why, um. I sound like I'm dissing the bloke, but I'm not. Um, but to me, the case is not proven. We knew with, you know, Valtteri Bottas, he sometimes outqualified Lewis. Yeah. Um, just to be quick over a lap, um, Charles made a mistake. I mean, I think Charles was like, he qualified third, didn't he? And he was like eight thousandth of a second off pole. Um, and we'll come back to that because that's actually, it was Charles Leclerc who I think was instrumental in Ferrari winning that race. But anyway, uh, I will, um, I'll come back to that in a minute um so yeah fine Paul, congratulations brilliant uh, and also capitalizing on that moment when the red bulls filtered who thought who saw that coming certainly mm. not me um but in the race the thing about the race was and the thing which i think i'm not saying that he isn't i'm saying it's still unproven is that he won that race by driving as slowly as possible yeah
1: said he didn't that in win commentary, that race by
2: just disappearing yeah and, and what I've to me, the absolutely staggering thing about that race was it was a race won entirely on strategy mm. from the worst strategist to the pit lane. <laughs> or historically.
1: They didn't look at it yesterday, did they?
2: Oh my goodness. It was so clever. Mm. You know, using Leclerc as the plug. To back the rest of the field up, so no one could do the undercut because they'd come back in. Literally, you know, the field was so tightly packed that if you tried to pit stop early, they were saying this about, uh, I think uh, Lewis or George. They'd have come, they rejoined the, the race in eighteenth place mm. on a circuit where it's really difficult to overtake. Yeah, so they just had to all just sit there and sit and sit and sit. And I just thought it was just a really really smartly as that was probably strategically um the best run race i've seen in in, in i can't remember how long they mm. just nailed it and absolutely key to it um was getting Charlotte ahead of george at the start and yeah. that's why they stuck him on soft yeah um and they just i mean you know uh it, yes clearly um you know the safety cars worked in their favor um but they just nailed it, they just mm-hmm. absolutely nailed it uh, and they set up that fantastic uh what was it fifteen laps the last fifteen laps yeah brilliant i mean i didn't i I didn't know where to look i was standing no. up i was i was just <laughs> all over the place um and i mean i from about fifteen laps out i just knew- i just knew George was going to win that race
1: <laughs> it was it was just obvious wasn't it until <laughs> until he didn't um and again, science keeping Lando behind him just close enough that the McLaren had DRS, so it was very difficult to pass.
2: Again, that was brilliant. so clever,
1: brilliant. Because
2: he understood where the threat was, and he knew the threat wasn't Lando because Lando's tires were as shagged as his. Mm. He knew that the threat was the Mercedes. So we, I mean, it was just. If if he hadn't kept Lando that close and Lando hadn't had DRS, the Mercedes would have been past him in a heartbeat.
1: And then past the Ferrari as well. And
2: then but then, past the Ferrari, which wouldn't have had DRS either.
1: Yeah, yeah. They would have come flying through if they got past that McLaren. Absolutely. Um, so... I mean, so, so that is a...
2: Uh, and I don't know whether that was Carlos, who's obviously an extremely bright boy, or whether that was the pit like, um, talking to him and saying, no, you need to do this. But it was just a... It was just a level of thinking. It was such a strategic game, wasn't it? It was like chess. Mm, and it was. yeah, uh, I didn't foresee that outcome. I, I just f- thought the moment the Mercedes made that late stop, I thought they'd done. Yeah,
1: yeah. And they, I th- yeah, a few more laps than they would have done, wouldn't they? But <clears throat> I think, um, I think it was Carlos who was choosing to give Lando the DRS. I think he made that decision um, partly because there was that radio call saying it's on purpose or something. Um, but a brilliantly executed race as you say there probably isn't yet enough evidence for us to conclude that Carlos Sainz belongs to that tier one category just yet but it's made me wonder these last couple of races have made me wonder if I've got him wrong maybe we'll see Mm. over the the rest of the season I don't know
2: but also you know drivers develop don't they they just they turn into they turn into different animals also can we talk about George for a bit and also the George and Lewis um, can we come to that thing, in a moment yeah. just because yeah, I, I
1: just want to acknowledge Lando fantastic result um, Lando Norris in the McLaren mm. second brilliant the McLaren yeah. looks rapid at the moment um, also Liam Lawson yes in the Alpha Tauri finished yeah. ninth scored two points on his third Grand Prix yeah I mean wow he, uh, that is a very very difficult circuit and a difficult Grand Prix if, you, yeah. if you've only <laughs> competed in two before um, so he did fantastically. I mean, it's he's also—it's a circuit as a circuit. It's absolutely merciless. Yeah, it's you as know,
2: and, and, and one of the reasons I like it so much because it's you know, it's a circuit of consequence. Mm. It's not like um the purpose-built circuits or even circuits the that have been adapted. Or uh, yeah, or yeah, or even circuits. I'm afraid, like Spa these days, where you can you can literally just leave the track and drive into another county and just rejoin. Mm. In Singapore, you leave the track, you're in the wall. Mm um and well as we found out with george you know yeah. it's uh, yeah you know, stuff happens doesn't it so yeah i think i think for a rookie um to drive and, and also the physicality of that circuit in the heat mm. um to be that fit to be that mentally strong to not make a mistake when it's your third grand prix and come home halfway up the field in a car which was you know that's the
1: best that car was ever going to do wasn't it mm. so yeah absolutely um, and cracking effort. He needs a he needs a full time race seat for twenty four, doesn't he? And Daniel Ricciardo, maybe it makes his position in F one a little bit, a little bit more complicated. But yeah, huge credit to Liam Lawson. Okay, um, let's get on to the Mercedes point then, because that was fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. So they. So let, let's just set so so this to, up. So Esteban Ocon's car failed, and he pulled yeah. in um, at the pit lane exit. And they had to throw the VSC, the virtual safety car, with 15, 16 laps to go yeah. um, to clear that car. The leaders stayed out. Yeah. The Mercedes came in, George mm. and Lewis. They put on those um, lovely new medium tyres that they'd saved from mm. um, practice on Friday. And they had, it was I think it was something like 15 laps to chase down 13 and a half seconds, I think was the gap to Charles, certainly. Um, who was running third at that time and it was a case of are they going to be quick enough to catch and pass the leading cars for one of them to take the win and it was yeah you couldn't you couldn't set it up more enticingly could you so to watch it was fantastic so they had to gain about one and
2: a half seconds a lap to win the race and yeah. they set off and the numbers were just extraordinary you know, sometimes George was taking two seconds out of the lead in a lap um, around that because they were on brand new mediums against cars that were on completely shagged halves. Um, and as, I said, as we said earlier, we just thought they were going to do it. But then it was, it was so interesting. And this is where I just thought that Lewis just showed all his class and cleverness because um, George just took off. And he actually pulled out a gap of about three and a half four seconds over Lewis, straight after that pit stop
1: but I, um, they but they had to um, they, they had to stack the cars, didn't they so George was always going to get away from that pit stop with an advantage. yeah, they had to an extent but jo- but, but what ha- but what George did
2: was he just went off like a hare, and Lewis didn't um, as a result mm. when you got to when it actually mattered. Um, George obviously got held up because he got in the dirty air behind Lando, um, and Lewis was able to close up. on him. And at the end of it, Lewis's tyres were in much better condition than George's. Um, so the question is, what should Mercedes have done then? So you, I think you can make an argument for everything other than what they did. So you could say, well, George arrived on the scene first. So you'd say to Lewis, right, back off completely, let George have a fair crack at it, because with the two fighting with each other, as we all know, when cars go up against each other, they slow both cars slow down, which is the last thing that they wanted. Uh, alternatively, you could have just said, well, actually, you know, Lewis is faster now, his tyres are in better nick, swap them over and let Lewis have a go. Um, but as a result of them fighting with each other, um, George made a mistake, ended up in the wall, and Lewis came home third. And I think that, I think, actually, what they should have done is they should have swapped, swapped them around and said, George, back off today. It's not your day. Sorry, guys. Um, but Lewis has got better tyres. He's quicker. He is the person to go and have a go at Lando. Um, and also, we all know that, you know, that Lewis's racecraft and his overtaking ability is absolutely second to none. And Lewis, in those very particular circumstances, presented the Mercedes team with the best chance of winning that race. I, I agree. And I think that I, was and, that I, best I, and I think he could have done it. And I think if he'd got past who knows i mean you know the form, you know the, the whole world of motor racing is ruled by the rule of what if but i think if he got past lando he'd have got past carlos
1: i think yeah that's right if you can get past the mercedes with sorry if you can get past the mclaren with drs you get past the ferrari without it in no exactly title. so yeah. i agree i think that was mercedes best chance of winning that race however goodness me if they'd made that call to george to pull aside is that the end of team unity at mercedes are the repercussions far greater it would be oh he would just be furious because he would always have backed himself to get past those leading cars but he
2: wasn't he was stuck behind lando for a long time and he wasn't having he wasn't making he didn't make a convincing so he couldn't do it and mm. i think in those circumstances the team is entirely within his rights to in their rights to say Look, George, we understand why this is. It's not your fault. Your tyres are gone. Um, but Lewis is quicker than you at the moment. He is the person for the team who is best placed to to do this. And just, you just think what would have happened um, if Mercedes had actually won a race this year, if Lewis had become the first person in history to win a Formula One race um, after having taken 300 starts. No one's done it yet oh really um Gosh, no, no one would want to race past their 300th formula one race um, wow. and lewis i don't know where he is he must be up near 350 360 now mm. um wow um, um yeah oh god i hope i'm right about that i think i am someone, <laughs> someone, please someone come will tell us. me if i'm not but i think i'm right about that um and yeah and the other thing so we all, we, need, we need to talk about you know can you believe we got this far into a conversation about formula one we haven't actually mentioned red bull yet No. um but I mean but that's the other massive talking point but you know I think what I thought was so impressive about the whole Ferrari effort was they knew this was a proper chance that this was a proper opportunity because for some reason Red Bull wasn't firing for myself and again I got this completely wrong I just thought okay fine so they weren't great in qualifying they're not suited to the circuit but we know how gentle the Red Bull is in its tires and we know how strong it's drs's and a combination of those two would really really pull him up i'm not i'm not sure i thought that max would necessarily win it but i thought he would be right up there and actually i think the car was so poor i think where did he
1: come in the end sixth fifth fifth yeah i mean it was sixth. until josh put it in the wall wasn't it
2: yeah um i think he did amazingly to come back through the -hmm. way that he did um and I think that's, you know, pretty good think It's quite impressive because, you know, if you think about it, when did Max last have to fight? When did Max have to last really get his elbows out and bully his way past cars on a really difficult circuit?
1: And, yeah, he can still do it, can't he? Mm, yeah, he can, he can. Yeah. I think that there, it was so bizarre to watch that Red Bull that has been... Well, it's won every race so far until yesterday, this year. Um, it has been the dominant car, without question. Max coming off the back of winning 10 in a row a new record, to see him not manage to get out of Q2, beaten by Liam Lawson in the AlphaTauri on his third Grand Prix. I mean... Just amazing. It's it's so bizarre that circuit characteristics can make that much of a difference to a car that has worked everywhere else.
2: And and we think that it is, don't we? Because all the inside view about these... They're not regulation changes are there I think they're just tightening of the regulations about flexible floors and that sort of thing yeah. um, whether they affect the Red Bull more than anything else or not I think what everybody has agreed is that effect would be least seen at a circuit like Singapore mm. Mm. Um, I did speak to Karun about this um, and we will see his view is that it's a flash in the pan
1: mm.
2: he thinks that um, Comes to Zuka next weekend. Uh, Max will be off into the distance again. Mm. Um, don't know. We'll see. right now. If, if, if that's the case, somebody who was it? I think it was the Carfactoids on Twitter came on and, and, and was uh, mentioned something about this This will be. 1988. If Red Bull yeah. we'll then go off and win every, every, yeah. every other race of the season, it'll be 1988 all over again. It'll be Monza 88. With Ferrari
1: winning the one that the, 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 the dominant team didn't manage to, to yeah, win. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah. So on, on the Red Bull thing, I th- there yeah. is a, a sort of bigger point here to make. And that's whenever a driver dominates in Formula One, so much of that is down to the car and that's true of every driver who has dominated certainly in the modern era Verstappen, Hamilton, Vettel, Schumacher Mm. once they don't have the competitive machinery anymore then nowhere as we saw Max not getting out of Q2 because his car just was not working Lewis hasn't been winning races since the end of 2021 because the car hasn't been there Vettel we saw how he dropped off Schumacher um, later on in his career it, it, it happens time and again once they don't have competitive machinery, they are not able to make the difference. And it, it's almost an, unco- un, an uncomfortable truth for Formula 1 because we, we tend to want to make heroes of the drivers and say it's down to them. But in reality, the car is a huge, huge part of it. And it's right that it's that way because F1 is just too competitive. The level is too high. There are too many fantastic drivers there um, for... Any one driver, even the very best in the world, to overcome deficient machinery. You know the likes of Lewis and Fernando and Charles and George and Lando. They are too good for a driver with a car that's not working to be quicker than them. Um, and so the the point ultimately is that whenever a driver is dominating, we need to give the designers and the team a huge amount of the credit because it's yeah. a big part of it is the car yeah at the same time however um where you can
2: see it is between teammates and yeah uh, uh, and 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 that is the mark of the the truly extraordinary driver take schumacher okay forget the mercedes bit when he was you know he probably shouldn't have come back and done that but when he was ferrari at ferrari he absolutely destroyed his teammates and if you look at max what he's doing to perez he's doing it too and they do it for two reasons don't they? they do it one because they are of these ridiculous natural talents they have but also because the team knows where the opportunities lie and they design the car around that opportunity and mm. that opportunity is max and so mm. they design and what they do is they design a car for one driver um to the detriment of the other so mm. actually what happens is the gap between them gets bigger because yeah. people can't drive I mean, but you know if you take you know particularly. Um, you know the ones i know about are michael and 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 max and and they had very similar driving styles they like really really pointy cars they like cars which fly into the apex and they back themselves to control you know the rear end of the car and if you're a car if you're a driver who much prefers a car with a bit of nice reassuring steady state understeer that's really problematic
1: for you um it was why albon never really made much of an impression during his stint at Red Bull. And actually, we know Albon's a fantastic driver. Oh, but do you know, I think, he, I
2: think he might be the most underrated driver on the grid. Yeah. I've always said this, actually. I thought, you know, I can remember him overtaking someone on the grass at 200 miles an hour at the top of Radar uh, on a race and just thinking, y- you've got something. Mm. Um, and But yes, absolutely. He, 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 he blew
1: his opportunity at Red Bull, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, um, he, he couldn't get on with the car that was built around Max. Um, no. And actually, someone made an important point about this. If Mercedes does build a properly competitive car for next year, they're not going to back one of their drivers. They have this. They now have this sort of equal number one status policy. It seems, um, it and seems. that might and that might hurt them. You know, because Red Bull are going to back one of their drivers. Mm. Um, Mercedes, they, their drivers yeah. will take points off each other. But the, but the, you know I think I, th- I think there
2: are, I think there's you know there's wise words and I think there's good intention. But then I think there's also after that there's reality. Um, and if you know, but I I, th- I think one of the reasons it's going to be difficult um, for them in the way that it's simply not difficult for Red Bull is it's bloody obvious who the number one driver at Red Bull is. I don't mm. think it's obvious at all who the number one driver at Mercedes is. No, you know I well,
1: think uh, uh, actually I disagree with that. I think they're very level in qualifying. But <clears throat> Lewis is seventy one points ahead of George now. It's a big old gap. It's a big
2: old gap. Yeah, but, you know, but but last season I don't know what the gap was, but, you know, um yeah. George quali- out qualified him. Uh, no, no, he no,
1: out qualified him last season. Did um, he? But George outscored him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I
1: I I I think it
2: is not at all obvious um mm. who is the better driver of those two. Um Yeah, I disagree
1: with that. I, I disagree yeah. with that. I think and I think yesterday was quite a good demonstration certainly in the races, I think. Lewis still has his nose ahead but um but anyway it's what what we're going to see for the remainder of the season I think as you've already hinted I think we're just going to see Max run away with the rest of them aren't we
2: well I I only think that because you know that seems to be the opinion of people who know far far Mm. more about it than than I do um you know they were so far off the pace um i I, I struggle to think there's not something else going on i guess we'll find Mm -hmm. out next weekend Mm -hmm. um you know clearly you know it was a circuit to which neither max nor his car were suited you know it must be one of very very few races on the calendar now that max has never won Mm -hmm. um so there was that um you know they got unlucky they got really unlucky with the safety car um in the same way that ferrari got lucky um so you know there are lots of reasons that you know for, for for red bull it was a really really bad weekend for almost every reason um ferrari you know also got it absolutely right now take out those variables and just go back to a sort of normal race weekend i guess you still have to have the red bull you know you definitely still have to have max going off and winning it but i don't know we all see won't we mm. yeah you know, suzuka will be i mean the great thing is it. you know suzuka is next weekend and it's such a an amazing circuit mm. um and it's actually, in the way that it is configured, it's kind of, although it's, you know, fantastic with spectacle and, and everything else, it's actually quite a good indicative circuit of general pace because it is, you know, there is a lot of high-speed stuff. There's a lot of aero re- requirement. Um, so, yeah,
0: I think, we'll, I think we'll know in a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: Let's move on then to water-cooled 911s, right? So it was on the 12th of September, uh, what's that, a few days ago, a week ago, that the 911 turned 60. Um, It was the original 911, still called 901, as we know, was was unveiled at the Frankfurt Motor Show in 1963 on the 12th of September. Um, And so we have been marking the occasion throughout this year, haven't we? We've done two other podcasts um, dedicated to the 911. Episode 161 was all about the 911 in racing. Episode 154 was all about the early 911s, air-cooled 911s, mm. and now this, the water-cooled 911s. Um, and it starts with the 996 in 1997, yeah. the first all-new 911 since the original. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you remember of the 996 coming along? I mean, I, I, th- I was. 10 years old or something, not really aware of it, but did it feel yeah. like I, 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 I a, a departure? <laughs> no, you weren't. A little bit. But did it feel like a huge departure? Did it, did it feel like Porsche was taking great strides forward or getting it horribly wrong? What, when what do you remember? I,
2: when I drove it and I wrote my review for, I was editing Motorsport Magazine at the time, um, the headline was 9, as in N-E-I-N, mm. the German for not 11. Mm um because i genuinely i actually thought the car was quite impressive um you know you forget don't you that it was quite a lot lighter than Mm. the 993 despite Mm. being bigger yeah um and it had you know quite a lot more power now i had this 300 horsepower 3.4 liter all new flat six little did we know what problems lurked within Mm. um but it just it just didn't feel to me like a 911 um it felt like a much more touring less sporting and i don't i didn't even mean it in any kind of pejorative sense i just felt it felt like much more like a a normal car um and i was i I was in two minds about it uh and and to answer your question it it absolutely felt like a complete break from everything that had come before Mm. um a new dawn um for good or for bad and yeah and 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 it would be interesting maybe we should go and do it maybe we should go and get an early 996 and a late 993 and just try the two of them together and see whether you know what i thought when was it 98 so 25 years ago um still holds true but yes it was a it was a completely and utterly different
1: experience The trouble with trying to assess these cars now, and I've only driven a few 996s and fairly briefly at that particularly a Carrera that I drove, you know, they are 20 something years old now. You're not Mm. really sure how well they've been maintained. No. Um, You don't how old the tyres are, what kind of uh, life is left in the suspension, the brakes. So it can be difficult to get a read. On what a 996 Carrera in this instance actually feels like, absolutely. It's the same old cars. yeah, it's yeah, it's true. It is it is universally true. But I, <clears throat> on a very very brief drive and not a quick one either, I just felt like the the 996 felt a bit baggy and a bit loose and mm. not the the taut responsive sports car I was expecting, but presumably you have a sort of better understanding of what a good one should No, feel i think
2: like. I, I i i well i do i mean only because i drove them when they were brand new um yeah. i think we were all aware that the quality had taken a dive mm. um at the time it certainly felt that way when it was new um and you know we know why that was we know that you know porsche had been making cars totally uneconomically um and the company was in you know a very very bad state. it's one of the reasons that basically they one of the few things that get that, that, that essentially got carried over was the rear suspension from the 993 um because it saved an enormous amount of money so you know and, and obviously there was the um the commonality with the with the boxster um yeah with the 986 um which is basically the same car from the windscreen forward and the many many other components in common um and it did feel like a car of less intrinsic quality um and and yes there was i mean i don't think i would have characterized it by any sort of bagginess at the time um because you know the car would have been obviously on new springs and new dampers and new bushes and everything else it just didn't feel like you know you were locked in a vault um Mm. in the way that you know those earlier cars had uh what i do remember and i think what would surprise anyone who went and drove an, an early 996 now i just remember thinking this is a really fast car mm-hmm. i don't know why i didn't expect that um but yeah, the more power of those weight. cars yeah yeah um and that is you know i can actually i borrowed one um i borrowed one oh, i suppose in the last couple of years um because somebody borrowed one of my cars and, and, and they just had one of these things lying around so i just went home and back in it and it was it was it had done one hundred fifty thousand miles it was a baggy old 996 but i was still struck by how quick it felt mm. and that
1: was you know very recently so yeah um we we did drive didn't we a gt3 rs a 996 gt3 rs yeah that didn't feel baggy year. no that, goodness me no it didn't feel baggy um that was an exciting car to drive yes um, that actually, for me, it felt a little bit uncomfortable on some of the roads that we were driving it on. Like it was actually optimized for very smooth roads, but fantastic engine and gearbox, great steering, and mm. a, a proper live wire, energetic, thrilling car. Yes, but so, so different. I mean, you
2: know, point one is it had the Metzger engine in it, so it didn't yeah. have the same engine that, um you know, normal 996s had. Point two, it was the most track oriented gt3 rs of them all until the current one Mm. Mm. Um, you know that's what it was set up for i mean they wanted a big big difference between a gt3 and a gt3 rs Um, and it was also an extremely low volume very specialized piece of kit Um, and that's what happens Um, Mm. so you know it's in no way indicative of 996s Generally, I, I just wonder. You know, it's very difficult to talk about nine nine sixes or even nine nine sevens without the issue mm. of the engine coming up and just how dependable it is or it isn't. What's, what's your What's your view? Do you think that you should just say to someone, you know, unless the engine has been done, don't go near it, or would you say go into it with your eyes open? how serious is this problem what do we think is the best advice to anybody because it's it's such a tempting thing isn't it you desperately want a 911 um and you know if you want a cheap mm. 911 then you know a 996 is clearly going to be where you where you end up um but they do have well they certainly have this reputation of having a a ticking time bomb under their engine cover
1: yeah so what is it it's the ims the intermediate shaft isn't it yeah and um on some of them the 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 royal the rear main oil seal seal and yeah. then there's the bore scoring issue as well yeah so yeah. Goodness, goodness me and there's there is an awful lot that you need to be aware of isn't there but it you it's it's a very good question to ask because i've idly on many occasions looked at cheap 996s and slightly less cheap 997s um but i i've always always been Made to feel quite nervous by these issues because if you have one of them, you're looking at probably a five-figure bill, and that would be that would be ruinous for me and for many other people. I could afford one of the cars, but if that happens, how are you going to explain that to your other half? Why you can't go on holiday? Why you can't whatever? Yeah, I mean it's it's serious, isn't it? And,
2: and my understanding, uh, which may not be your understanding, is that broadly speaking, it's not a question of if it's going to happen, but when. Mm um but there are ways around it you know there are fixes and once it's done it's done isn't it um
1: so maybe maybe the solution is to only buy a car that has had the remedial work done yeah but you might take a view that this car is
2: going to be a recreation it's not going to do a load of miles maybe it hasn't already got a load of miles in it and maybe you'll just think well i'll take the chance Mm. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, mm. I wouldn't because I just mm. I just couldn't sleep at night knowing that, you know, that potential was, you know, sat out there, you know, in the shed or whatever. Um, mm. I, I couldn't have a car which wasn't done. Mm. Um, or I'd just get a turbo if I possibly could afford it. Um, <laughs> ah,
1: now, hold that thought. Um, but the, the other thing about 996s and 997s is they do have these engine issues that can be terminal or very costly. But there are other bits as well. You know, they you do need to stick... I, I I spoke to someone who really knows. He's got one. He knows about this stuff, and he says you have to put a couple of thousand pounds a year into them, servicing mm. and maintenance, just mm. to keep on top of stuff. And when jobs do need doing, they are expensive. And when you need replacement parts, they're not cheap. Mm. Um, so you can buy one for I don't know what fifteen grand or something in nine nine six, but they are yeah. going to cost you money. Um, yeah. So you do need to be aware of that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I suppose it's inevitable, isn't it? it it's a Porsche sports car. Thinking you can run one on a shoestring is probably naive. Um, but, yeah, no, okay, so 996 Turbo, I'm glad you mentioned that, because, well, they're becoming expensive now, but I think they look fantastic. As you say, they have the Mezger engine, so they don't have the engine issues. Mm. Um, a load of power, mm. four-wheel drive, yeah, manual box, I mean goodness yeah. me i mean there was a time when they were
2: the they, they, they were the sort of you know the great secret weren't they they yeah. were the bargains they were because they go i mean they go like smart if you got on one today mm. you know it might be 20 something years old but you know you're not going to sit there thinking oh well, this is not very fast you'd think wow. you, you would be you would be thinking wow yeah you know you're talking about something which could pull an early three to sixty i mm. mean it's that fast mm. um which oh. is going to get your attention yeah um you know so
1: another good it's to drive I, though I've never driven one <laughs> Defined Falls. good yeah. uh, by
2: ultimate nine eleven standards no by most other standards, yes mm. um, you know, for it 's it's always been the same with turbos isn 't it? because you, know, you lose the sound and you lose yeah. the throttle response and you lose some of the rev range um, and you get a massive whacking up whack in the back as a return, so and, but they 're heavier, so no, i wouldn 't say that they were anywhere near my list of top ten you know nine eleven driving machines. But, you know, at the same time, if you want a, a car which is going to go really, really fast, look really cool, still really good to drive, I think there's a lot to be said for them. Just mm. don't think they they are going to, you know, but drive like a, a GT3, because they just don't. No,
1: no, no. Um, I saw a very standard, early 997 Carrera S on the road the other day. Um, I mean, there are plenty of them. You see them all the time. But... It was just sort of prowling through town. And I just thought it looked fantastic. Such a simple, clean shape.
2: Beautiful in a uh, way. Much, to me, much prettier car than the 996. Yeah, agreed. I, just,
1: I, I can't get my head around the headlights of the 996. No. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? I remember speaking to Tony Hatter, the Porsche designer, about that. Yeah. Why they chose those fried egg lad, uh, fried egg headlamps. And it's because it's a totally new car. Completely different to the 993. And they had to... Underline that somehow with how the car looked, and so they went with that weird headlight design. But anyway, um, yeah, this 997, I just thought a gorgeous-looking thing. And I, I regularly dip into the classifieds and have a little ponder about these. Um, As I've already said, the engine issues do make me do put me off. But but if
2: if I was going to try and if I was going to get a 911 of that era not my favorite one but the one which i thought of the more affordable ones was the best that's what i'd get
0: mm.
2: i'd get a 997 carrera s that i had the work done yeah that to me i mm. think is the sweet spot of that range mm.
1: uh,
2: in terms of when you try to balance what it's like in terms of, uh, as, as a car to drive and what they cost to buy mm. um that's that's i i think a nicely sorted uh 997
1: carrera s is is an absolutely cracking piece of kit no i think the facelifted one <clears throat> and this is um contemporary for me now because i was just about a motoring journalist working on a car magazine when the 9972 was launched and i yeah. remember driving it when it was new now they had revised engines or maybe totally different engines i think direct fuel injection engines, yeah they had so, on them yes so they don't have the same issues do they i think that's correct no so um, maybe they finally got, rid- got and, and got on top of them so maybe they're the ones to go for facelift 997 Carrera S yeah i would i would love one of those um while we're talking about 997s we do have to talk about the GT3 RS the to GT3 RS 3.8 um mm. it's a ridiculous hebe. name but if hebe if you know what i'm talking about you'll know exactly what car that is <clears throat> i think it's probably my favorite road car top of all I think so, well one, one mm. of them, it's in the top sort of three, four, five. 4, it's, it's yeah. right yeah. up there,
2: I, I wouldn't argue yeah. and Porsche I mean, we, we,
1: GB have this you, you just mentioned it didn't you, on their heritage fleet the reg plate is HBY they call it Hebe yeah. Um, yeah. and that is it, it's about the most extreme example of that car you can get because it has no infotainment of any kind, it has no mm. uh, AC which makes it a bit yeah. ridiculous in the summer on a really hot day but goodness me, that is a wonderful car we've um we've
2: talked about it on this podcast in previous in a, in a pre, at least one previous episode um and i think it's, it's, it's going to become a sort of cliche if it isn't already but i think the i think the phrase peak 911 mm. has been used uh, in in relation to it you think is if you go and drive this car what would that be he'd be a 2010 car i guess yeah yeah it is yeah um so it's already well more than a dozen years old you go and drive it's got 450 horsepower which is you know it's a lot but it's not an enormous amount you go and drive it you're never ever going to think to yourself oh i wish this had another 100 horsepower or i wish this went around a corner quicker you're just going to you're just going to adore the way it drives it's the feel of the car it's Mm. the way that it just puts Mm. you in touch and how immediate it is um it's just it's just I'm oh not expressing myself very well. Um it's just magical, isn't it? It's just a fantastic thing to be in. Um and it, it just feels special. You are aware of this sense of occasion which you don't get in so many other cars, including many nine elevens. You're just aware that you are driving something which is just it's almost greater than the sum of its parts. It's just one of those cars that came out even better and even more right than really anybody could have possibly expected. Um magnificent car
1: and it, but it's supple as well isn't it it's not a, mm. a bone yeah it shaker. does ride it no. rides really well um yeah so i love that thing <clears throat> question is the gt3rs 4 litre the mm. very limited edition run out special is that a better car it's a better car
2: because it's uh it's got more torque um it's yeah. got you know it's got a bit more power um quite a lot more power it's 500 horsepower isn't it rather than yeah. but you but, but you feel the mid-range more um but they are so rare and such special things um i don't think we should necessarily be delayed by it too much but yes it was it's you know there there are no downsides to that car um it is an even better version it's it is ultimately the one to have if you've got however many hundreds of thousands of pounds
1: tucked away to go and get one Mm, mm. um yeah you see i'd I'd actually have the 3.8 um why just a bit more supple I'd love to drive them back-to-back. Back. Maybe we need to do that at some point, but um, my sense is that the 3.8 is a bit more supple and on, on an hour road, better because of it. But Were the four 4.0s much different? A little bit, I think. A little bit. Okay. I remember I drove one fairly recently and I, I remember thinking exactly that. Um, so that's the 7 Let's clip through them onto the 991. Um, do you, I remember when the 991 was new. <clears throat> i just started on Evo magazine. And people were saying Porsche had dropped the ball with that car. Um, people it, said it with the 996, didn't they? Yeah, they did. But it, it, there were some important changes, weren't there? It had that seven-speed manual that wasn't really well sorted yeah. at that point. The big Elec- change was the wheelbase. Yeah, and electric steering.
2: Electric steering, it, yeah, the, the, exactly. Electric steering and the wheelbase. Mm. You know, they put 100, 100 mil extra in the, in the wheelbase. Yeah. You know, the thing about, you know, it, you know, on top of the extension to the wheelbase that had already happened with the 996. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the core reasons that 911s felt like 911s in those early days, it wasn't just that they had a flat six engine swinging around at the back. It was because they had tiny, tiny wheelbases. Mm. Mm. Um, and so they would, change direction and they would pivot uh that's also one of the reasons they were so lively um you know when that agility got a bit too (laughs) agile um and things started wandering around um and then as you say the 991 came along um and it's still it's still its wheelbase is still short um by the standards of you know comparable cars because it doesn't have to have an engine within it um but even so compared to you know even a nine nine six nine nine seven let alone a nine six four nine nine three yeah and and the electric steering mm. and you know I did this once i can 't remember what we were driving. it must have been a nine nine one g t three r s but we were somewhere, and they had hebe there, and so I took the nine nine one g t three r s out with the nine nine seven g t three r s and that 's what I remember more than anything else, I can just remember thinking the 997 it just did there was just so much more feel so much more communication mm. you just felt so much more part of the machine in the older car um so yeah mm. it was again not as big a change as from 993 to 996 but still a complete you know only the third start again car yeah um
1: in however many years it was just the carreras then the, the basic model did you think porsche had got that wrong at the time this is 2011 or something Uh, yeah around there 2012
2: maybe depends what you mean by wrong Uh, I thought that they had designed a very canny car I thought they had and I said this before I thought they designed a 911 for someone who didn't want a 911 (laughs) so so someone you know a car for someone who wanted all the image of a 911 look at me i drive a 911 but actually just wanted a you know a daily driver which was you know quiet comfortable fast and everything else um so it depends how you measure it i mean for me you know those early 991s were not as good to drive you know really quite some distance from Mm. being as good to drive as the as what the 997 turned into mm. and you know the, the, those late cars um but you know i wasn't the target market
1: mm. yeah <clears throat> exactly right um, and,
2: and, and those you know those those naturally aspirated engines uh which were lovely um but, you know, as we know, um, the gear ratios were not best suited and they didn't have an enormous amount of mid-range torque and that didn't necessarily sit well with the cars. I think the second generation cars, when they got the turbo engines, actually, for yeah. what they were, they, they were better suited to the turbo engines mm. um, than the naturally aspirated ones which came in the Gen 1 cars. Um, and I'd never have said that. If they'd done that with the 997, I'd never have said that. But actually, I think the character of the car um generally speaking is better suited to the turbo motor than to the to the atmospheric ones
1: if i ever do buy a 911 and i'm you know not a ridiculous fanciful six-figure car it would be a 991 gen 2 a facelift 991 carrera of some sort with the twin turbo engine that's the one that i would sort of a t maybe yeah maybe a t yeah yeah Mm. yeah lovely car um the talking of facelift 991s the gt3 touring i think is about as good as these uh very recent 911s have got oh absolutely i know i know someone who's got
2: a silver debadged badged manual gt3 touring 991 gt3 touring yeah um that's the one bloody
1: wonderful it really <laughs> is. now the so the current one the 992 gt3 yeah. touring um, fantastic engine and gearbox, obviously, looks great. On the right road, really sublime to drive, but it's it yeah. has become quite uncompromising. Mm. Um and we had we drove that car a couple of months ago, didn't we, alongside two other nine elevens. Um and it is a fabulous thing. But I would still pick the older nine nine one. Oh, as a car to use on the road, I think unquestionably. Mm.
2: Um, you know, the other big departure, well, I mean the GT3, um, the standard GT3 has been configured that way because it's, you know, it's got a whole lot of downforce, um which the yeah. touring doesn't have and that is why i was surprised they left yeah. the touring on the same suspension you know, the yeah. gt3 needs it because it needs to support the body under the weight of all that downforce but it's also got this double wishbone front suspension um which does bring many more benefits but it does also make it a very different sort of driving proposition um but no, I, I completely agree with you i think if you were going to have a GT3 Touring for
1: well, touring, mm. um, the 991 <laughs> is just a better car for that. The last car, last specific 911 that I want to talk about, because we are running out of time, <clears throat> is the the current GT3 RS. I've only driven it on track. Um,
2: oh, I've done both
1: now. Yes, you have, haven't you? And uh, mm. so I drove it on a wet track that ultimately did dry. And then you do discover this a phenomenal amount of grip and performance and stability and high-speed stuff and all the rest of it. I'm much more interested in what it's like to drive on the road because it's gone pretty hardcore now. Do you know what? I was So
2: when uh, the Goodwood Festival... The only reason I've driven it on the road was when the Goodwood Festival of Speed got, what was it, winded off on the Saturday. They had to shut it on the Saturday. Um, And we were all staying locally. And Porsche had brought their GT3 RS along and we had nothing to do for the day. So I just went for a, a trot up the road. Um, And what I found was so amazing is that because you can, it's so configurable, if you just slackened everything off, Mm. it rides. Does it? That was the amazing thing. Yeah, it does ride. Yeah. Yeah, That's me. You know, I would say that it rides better than a GT3. Wow. In fact, I wouldn't say that. It 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 does does ride better than a GT3. Because it allows you to, you know, slacken off the dampers. Mm. And it's actually okay i only i didn 't you know I probably drove it 30, thirty forty miles um, it was in West Sussex, so probably not the most challenging of roads, but I thought the car would just really, really annoy me because it 'd be skipping and bucking and kicking, and it didn 't do any of those things mm. yeah it was it was really nice, and I think I think it is such a clever car, and clearly that 's the way that you know configurability is going to be the way that you know yeah. believe me you know in, in in very short period of time you're going to be able to do all these whizzy things with the ferraris and all the other stuff that comes up because it's so a it's stuff to play with b it looks cool and c you know you can talk to your mates about all oh, you're in your ideal <laughs> configuration and it makes you look like you know what you're doing even if you probably don't um but it actually it just it just really really works and i was fantastically impressed by it Um, my only problem with that car
1: is you know is it doesn't have a boot yeah yeah so you can't go anywhere in it yeah you can't even pack your helmet and uh, an overnight bag and go to the ring with a mate
2: now well i mean i suppose you can stick it in the back where the rear seats um should be if you haven't got some massive roll case sat there but no it's not ideal but Mm. um i do think it's a very very clever car um i know it's more expensive but you know and i know that they're very difficult to get anyway but um, to me that is a much what's the word i think it's a i think it's a much smarter better resolved more clear-eyed 911 mm. than than a standard GT three interesting
1: wow interesting um that we really are running out of time so 60 years of the 911 What's and at next? this point, yeah, that's right, it's, it's, it's impossible not to look ahead. Maybe not 60 mm. years, that's a bit too far down the line, but I don't know, 10, 20 years? Um, and the big question for the 911 is how do you electrify it, whether that's hybrid or full EV? Um, now, I'm confident that Porsche could build a sports car with little rear seats selling for plus thousand pounds plus um, powered by batteries and electric motors, and I'm sure it could be Pretty good to drive, but can it be a 911, or is a flat six engine slung out the back with that weird weight distribution? Is that is that too intrinsic to the 911 proposition for an EV version to ever actually work? I th- I, I think the,
2: the the intriguing thing about that question, and it is clearly the question, is I don't think even Porsche knows the answer to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting I mean, that how far they're just kicking this down the road. You know, the 992, which came out in 2019, um, mm. that's configured to take a hybrid. Mm. Um, and, not it awful, uh, but, and it hasn't yet. And it hasn't yet. There is, so we are, well 2023 as we record this now, so we're four years into the 992, so there's going to be a Gen 2 992 within the next year, I would think. Um, will that have a hybrid in it? My guess is that it won't because it doesn't need to i can remember talking to um frank Valliser when he was mr 911 and you know he was in no hurry at all to lose a load of boot space to battery packs um, to put a lot of weight into the car um none of which it's you know it needed to you know to hit its marks um and you know and, and i think i think that feeling still um hold sway in in stuttgart my guess and it is absolutely a guess is that the next generation of 911 so whatever succeeds the gen 2 992 the 99 whatever that is hard to call it Four. um will be will will have a hybrid drive i think it'll have to mm. um but porsche have said i think um that it is the last Porsche that will become electrified but we know that there's an electric Boxster and electric Cayman coming down the tracks we know that um since the existence of the Boxster um you know 26-7 years ago um that they have had considerable parts commonality with the 911 so clearly what's going to happen the next the next all new 911 platform, and you've got to remember that 911s tend to come in pairs um, in terms of their design. So there was the 964 and the 993, which are closely related. The 996 and the 997, which are closely related. The 991 and the 992, um, which are closely related. Mm. So we're due an all new one, um, and I'll eat my hat if that's not off the same platform that could be fully electrified because it'll have to be the same platform that the Cayman and the Boxster, which we already know are going to be electrified, mm. um, sit upon. So but does that actually mean it will be fully electric itself uh, i don't think there'll be in an any hurry to do that so i think what you'll get is you will get um hybrids they may not even be plugins um but i'd be very very surprised actually if the next 911 wasn't a hybrid i don't think they'll just do a a non-hybrid version i think they'll all be hybrids and We'll see how that works. How much weight it adds, what it adds, what it loses. But I think it's the way the world's going. And if you're going to do an all generation of car, you can't stick your head in the sand and forget what's mm. happening and just hope that you know the world all will goes you know, away. It all yeah. goes away because it won't. So I think it'll have to.
1: Well, we'll see, won't we? Bring it on. Mm. Um, there you go. 60 years of the 911. Three episodes dedicated to, to the 911 this year. Um, hopefully, that was interesting to listen to. Now. We've got a listener question coming up in a moment on a very unusual engine configuration. Um, But before we do that, I will remind you all, first of all, to rate and review the podcast. um, A good review, please. A very positive one. (laughs) And and whatever app you're listening to this on, it's most likely Apple. It might be Spotify or actually any one of many others, Google, whatever else. But there will be a follow button or a subscribe button. Um, Just hit that. And it means you don't ever miss an episode of the Intercooler podcast. But it also means that we find a bigger audience, so it helps us enormously. Um, mm. So everybody wins. Everybody wins. Now the listener question comes from Sean Drift. Good name.
2: Sean Drift.
1: Why do Good car lad. makers? Why do car makers not produce V four engines?
2: Ooh, Is
1: that it. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay.
2: Um, well, they have. Um, God, V4. So who's had V4s? God my lack of knowledge here. So Saab had one. Um Ford had one. Um actually Lancia had one, didn't they? Um although it was sort of a V4. It was one of those incredibly narrow and You think of like a VR6 engine where yeah you've got these very, very narrow, like 15-degree angles and they all sit under the same head. Mm. Um okay, so this is where I um expose my complete lack of engineering knowledge. Um, i mean the idea oh porsche had one so yeah. name, name the the v4 porsche the 919 the 919 the Le Mans car yeah the Le Mans car was a v4 um and that was a v4 because it was it's very short it's very stiff and if you're going to hang an entire back end of the car off the, off the end of it um mm. and you want a it's a two liter wasn't it so it was a tiny little engine mm. um you know designed so that it didn't get in the way of your of your aero so it works very well for that there is something to do with um i don't know what you call it harmonic resonance you know engines all you know they say that a a straight six is perfectly balanced um and fours clearly aren't and v4s absolutely aren't um so i think they run quite rough um and i think that refinement
1: is an issue and um i'm struggling a bit now (laughs) (laughs) presumably the packaging benefit isn't great enough because an inline four It's pretty easy. to Package exactly. Yes, I was going to say that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I I think yeah. I I suspect that's it. I suspect that the very simply, um, the disadvantages outweigh the advantages. I mean, it's 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 quite an unusual um, configuration, isn't it? And as you say, it's you know, there's there's quite a bit to be lost, and probably not quite enough to be gained. Mm. There you go, Sean.
1: Drift. Um, good question. Thank you, Sean. Hopefully, an interesting answer to a very good question. Um, keep them it was coming a Good question. sure. The answer was very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> keep your questions coming. You can, say, however, you like. You can email us info at the dash or you can just message us on Instagram or Twitter. Um, but keep doing it, and we'll answer another one next week. Bye.